Hi, and welcome to Comchurch Talks. This is our sermon of the day. We pray that it will be a real blessing to you. I know you'll be encouraged, challenged, and uplifted by the talk that you're about to hear. You know, sometimes uh, people who don't go to church say things about the church and we get offended. But we must listen to them. You may have heard of some of these. We've just done a series called Mythbusters. Who are you going to trust? Who are you going to call? Mythbusters. How about the one, um, the church is full of hypocrites. Ever heard of that one? Yeah, well, the truth is, it is. You know, it's just like saying a hospital's full of sick people. And why would you say, oh, no, it's not? My hospital at Dunstable is not full of sick people. But what they're there for? Arrest. Of course it's full of sick people. The trouble is, though, Hypocrites aren't Christians. Jesus called them hypocrites, white wall sepulchres, and he said, you actually act like one, you talk like one, but you're not one. And so if the world spot people who come to this church or our church or any church who actually don't live like Christians, and they say, but you go there, you're a hypocrite, the answer is yes, but there's a good chance if you keep coming, you might become a Christian. Then there's that one, which somebody said to me when I was on duty at the hospital, if I came to your church, the roof would fall in. And I said, well, come to one of our open air meetings then. <laughs> That's true, but I don't want my roof to fall in. You've just had a brand new one. Who wants the roof to fall in? If you're gonna fall in, keep out of this building. Meet you outside for a coffee. How about that one? How about this? I got nothing to wear. Well, you must have something because you can't come naked, but you can wear whatever you like. You've you got that on your, fa- on your Facebook. What do I wear to come to church? Anything within reason. Don't come as Tarzan. We don't want you swinging from the lights. <laughs> but the one I want to speak about today is I don't go to church because Christianity is just a crutch. It's just a crutch for weak people. Uh, and it's said in a derogatory way. It's not said in a, in a positive way. But let's look at that, because uh, it's worth looking at when people say that. You may say, well, I don't need that, so I don't need a crutch. And if you want that, that's all right for you, but not for me. First of all, a crutch is a mobility aid that transfers weight from the legs to the upper body because you have a crutch because you can't walk properly. And it's often used by people who cannot use their legs to support their weight for reasons ranging from short-term injuries to lifelong disabilities to old age. So for many years when they said that, I used to object, oh, no, it's not. Oh, yes, it is. Oh, no, it's not. Now I turn around and say, oh, yes, it is. And they go, oh, no, it's not. You see, the fact is, our faith is a crutch. Think about it. Our life outside of Christ is designated lost, dead, frail, weak, sick, the Christian faith is the recognition of the strength of God supporting the weakness of fallen society. I work in a hospital every week. I could just imagine coming into A&E and you have your leg plastered and I say, well, that's it then, hop to the car park. Pardon? Go on, off you go, hop, hop, hop. Oh, you've fallen over, never mind, crawl, crawl, crawl. (laughs) No, we don't give crutches here, they're only for weak people. Imagine you had a stroke and or you had a hip replacement. If you had a hip replacement or a knee, you have to go to physio and you start with, 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 
with the Zimmer frame and then you get the crutches and you have to walk up and down the steps and you can't go home till you've done that. No, 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 crawl up the steps, please. We don't give out crutches. That's only for weak people. And of course, the truth is, our faith is a crutch. But the question is, what's yours? Because we all have one. Isaiah 40, 28 to 31 is in the Amplified. So with the Amplified Bible, if you've not had one, it means as I read it now, you'll still be here for the evening service. <laughs> because it has so many additives. It sort of says for God, and then it gives you 17 names of God, you know, but bear with me. This is what Isaiah said, because it's, it's very important. Have you not known, and have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not faint or grow weary. There's no searching of his understanding. He gives power to the faint, crutch, and to the weary, and to him who has no might <coughs> or strength, <coughs> increases strength, causing it to multiply and make it abound. Now this is interesting, especially what Sarah said when she was 11. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall feebly stumble and fall exhausted. But those whose crutch is the Lord, who expect for and hope for, shall change and renew their strength and power. They shall lift up their wings and mount up and they shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint or they shall not become tired. See, Isaiah reveals incredible support in the restoration of the human life. See, the difference is in Christianity, our faith is, is a crutch which brings us to health and stability. We don't use it as a crutch all our life. We mature and throw away the crutch. We take up our bed and walk. But it is our crutch. It is our support in times of trouble. And the question is, that I want to ask you today, what are you leaning on? Isaiah reveals the inner condition of humanity, including young people <coughs> today who are emotionally faint and growing weary. It's interesting, I'm 74 and I do pastoral counselling for the church now and I'm getting teenagers and 20s coming in because they're burnt out. So why'd you come to me? I'm 74. They said, because you haven't burnt out. And we want to know why you haven't burnt out <coughs> when you run a church for 47 years did 40,000 miles a year in football, did television work and look over 3,000 churches. How come you are not burnt out when we're not coping at 17? We're not coping at school at 15? Because I'm also in charge of discipline for a big massive school and I'm the patron of another school and I find discipline's falling apart and there's no self-discipline. Pressure's taking them out. <coughs> Why? So why have you come to see a 74-year-old? Because you've run and not grow weary, you've walked and not fainted, and it seems as if you're gliding on wings of eagles. What crutch have you been using? Matthew 11 says this, Jesus said, come unto me, all you who are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Wow. How about Psalm 37, 23? The Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. 
though he may stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam and mountains will there be surging, we're not going to fall. Leaning on the everlasting arms. See, our faith is not a crutch for our spiritual limitation. Our crutch does not limit us. It's an aid for our future mobility. It supports us until we're capable of running and not growing weary for walking and not fainting. Our faith is a very present time in times of trouble. Every generation needs a spiritual and emotional crutch to help them mobilise their destiny and reach their potential. Everybody in life needs some support sometime. We live in a time of identity and labelling. You know, when I started writing this sermon, I came across something which shook me. Psychologists, not Christian psychologists, psychologists tell us that since they can go back in history, there are 10 generations that psychologists have noted. Not one of them has been successful. Not one of them could live without a crutch. And I want to share these with you because seven of those generations are probably sitting listening to me today out of the 10. There's only seven of those generations listening to me today and not one of them have cracked it. Every generation is going to be the one that knows what they're doing, the one that's going to take us somewhere we've never been before. They're going to find the elixir of youth, but they've not found it. This is the identification of psychologists. Those born between 1890 and 1915, they were called the lost generation. My God, isn't it wonderful being born then? They were disorientated, wondering, directionless. It was during that time that great preachers came to reach out and there were big massive revivals because there was depression, there was no money, there was, there was poverty. It was the beginning of, of the Great War where I saw every family touched. Most families either had a baby die in their life or somebody killed in the war. Everybody had death in their family. That was a great generation. They didn't need a crutch, of course, did they? That was the lost generation. Then there was those born between 1901 and 1913 called the interbellium generation. What does that mean? Those born between two wars, too young for one, too old for the other, living in a great depression. All they knew was death, 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 poverty, poverty, death, death, death. But they didn't need God, of course. He was a crutch. Young people born between 1910 and 1924, classified as the greatest generation. Oh, maybe there's some hope. What do we mean by that? Fought, most of them in two world wars. They had tenacity and fortitude in times of poverty, oppression, losing many friends and relatives. They were great because they survived. When I speak to distant relatives and I go around the hospital now and I speak to people in their 90s who fought in the war, man, they never had counselling when they came back. I did a funeral the other week of one of the last Lancaster bomber pilots. 21, he got this distinguished flying cross. 
because he took off with his engine on fire. He had seven crew. He was 21. He was the captain. He took them all the way to the enemy, bombed and came back with one engine missing. Then he got a bomb stuck in the carriage of his plane and landed and got all the men to bail out except him and he landed the plane which could have blown up. And when he finished the war, he went back to work the next week. No counselling, no therapy. And wonder why he got, people get screwed up in that generation. First World War, the war to end all wars, horrific. Pilots didn't have parachutes because the planes are more important than the people. Then there's my generation. I've got to put a bit of a caveat in, in case you get it wrong. Those born between 1925 and 45. Mine was 45. <laughs> well, I know some of you. I've been here before. There are people of that generation still alive today here. That's called the silent generation. These young people grew up working hard, kept quiet. It was commonly understood that children should be seen and not heard. People didn't speak freely. When I was growing up, my parents would say, if you go anywhere, you sit there, you're quiet, and you don't speak until you're spoken to, and you call them sir. You call them by their surname. You don't mention their first name, and be quiet and behave yourself, or you'll get what for when you get home. We grew up not believing we had the right to speak. Speak when you're spoken to. And who are you to speak? And who are you to make decisions? We grew up during the aftermath of the Second World War where there was rationing until I was nine. When my mum and dad used to say to me, eat your tea, because there's nothing else, there wasn't anything else. When mum used to say, when you say, mum, mummy, when you're having your tea, I'm having it later, because she gave it to you because she didn't have any. That's the generation, of course, that didn't need God. It was self-sufficient, wasn't it? The silent generation. What about young people born between 1946 and 1964? That's my wife, the baby boomers. There was a significant increase in births at the end of the war as the soldiers came back, the women came out of factories and out of the farmland. In America alone in that time, 76.4 million people were born in the USA, a quarter of their total population and they are still a generation to be reached by Christ. They were the aftermath of the Second World War. If the First World War was the war to end all wars, the Second World War definitely was, but we've had something like 500 wars since then. How about the young people born between 1965 and 1979? Any of those here today? Your generation X. Listen to yourself, this is the psychologist, don't get offended. You're a generation described as disaffected, directionless, and you're slackers. <laughs> Do I hear an amen? <laughs> you're classed as the middle child generation. They felt neglected and ignored. Young people born between 75 and 85, exennials. Listen, the micro generation described as having an analog childhood and a digital adulthood. It describes the blending of generation X and millennials. They have been described as people who don't feel they belong to either of these generations, described as remembering a time before digital age, but barely. 
They were trapped between two ages. How about 1980 to 1994? Your generation Y. Increasing familiar with digital and electronic technology. You are eco-boomers, children of the baby boomers. They are the internet generation feeling a dissatisfaction with social and climate issues. They don't like the world they live in. They don't like our social and they don't like our climate. They're worried that they won't have a world for their children. They're not happy. Young people born between 1995 and 2012, which means some of your children in junior church today, Generation Z. They're still young. They don't fully know what they will look like. They are perceived to be excellent multitaskers. They've been referred as millennials on steroids. <laughs> it's true, isn't it? Then they said, boom, and they've gone. But listen to this. Showing progressive beliefs regarding globalization, inclusion, technology, religion. They're very liberal in their spectrum of all things. Anything goes. Sexually, spiritually, socially, anything goes. What about children born 210? and future children to be born in this church to 2025. They've even got that covered. Psychologists call it Generation Alpha. Listen to this. They are the first generation entirely born within the 21st century. By 2025, when the youngest will be born, they will account for two billion of the global population. They're born alongside iPhones, iPads and appliances. They don't know life without them. They can't even imagine a time before without them. They're not afraid of technology. They grow up with artificial intelligence. They face diagnosis one day of illness by AI chatbots. The whole of their life is going to be governed. Each and every generation since 1890 has been labelled and every generation has shown they've never cracked it. Be it acceptance, grief, identity, future stability, we live in a world of total stress, brokenness, global warming, creation waits eagerly. Romans 8:19 says, the Bible says that God said, and Paul wrote this, he said, that you're in such a mess that even the world says, get your act together because we can't cope much longer. The Bible says that when man and woman get redeemed before God, there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. Now it's interesting about climate change and we say amen to that because we have responsibility, but the people don't know that this world is going to burn. The Bible says this world is going to go into chaos. There's going to be famine where there's not normally famine. There's going to be floods where they don't normally have floods. There's going to be earthquakes where they don't normally have earthquakes. And the earth is going rotten and it is now too late. But when Christ comes again, and we don't preach the second coming, but when he comes again, the Bible says, and there'll be a new heaven and a new earth for the old will have passed away. But a generation without God sees the consequences, don't know the answer, and they're worried to death. I, I, this wonderful young girl is touring the world as the Messiah of global warming. 
what a, what a mature girl, and she's going everywhere. Don't laugh at her, don't condemn her. This girl sees actually what Christians should be speaking about. We are responsible for the world. Adam and Eve was given responsibility for the world to tend it and take care of it because it's part of God's creation. And what we've done is we've abused it, we've raped it and pillaged it, and we've produced a world that's now out of tilt and going rotten. Global warming is a fact, Mr. President, not fiction. We are going to get summers that are too hot or too cold. We are going to get winters that have no snow or too much snow. The balance has changed. We've polluted the air, we've polluted the food, we've polluted the sea, we've polluted everything. We are by nature sinful people, polluters. This generation is in crisis. And we've said this over many generations, but I want to look at my grandchildren and then they, they were having their children. I think, my God, what are we bringing them into? The church is being split over subversive theology. And so he goes on and he goes on. We need multiple strategies. We need to raise up people who can converse with every one of those seven generations. You see, if we just, if we just, get, if we just concentrate on the next generation, we lose six others. And if we only go back to the old generation and sing hymns every week, we lose a new one. So we've got to be conversant with this. We've got to evangelise through this. That's why we have streaming of television all over the place now, every service. Well, if you do streaming, some people may stop at home and not go to church. Well, if they feel like that, they'll leave you eventually anyway. But you've got to reach people who can't get to church, people who, who don't want to go to church, and they just come in on you and listen to you for 10 minutes and they get convicted. We've got to have all the modern technology available to reach people while still holding the hand of the sick person in the hospital and, and singing to them amazing grace and sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Are you still with me? We must be significant to our community, distinctive, endeavouring to stay afloat and relate to our next generation. We are like the Titanic. We are going down and it's no good singing Kumbaya. Get a lifeboat. See, a walking aid differed according to the age and condition of the patient. Different sizes, different styles for different illnesses. And our faith has to be expressed to different people who need a crutch. By reaching only the next generation, we lose at least those other generations. But we must know our future and be ready to stand in it and not outside of it. Do we need a crutch? Of course we need a crutch. I go to the world and they say, I don't need a crutch. And I say, what about the alcohol you're on, the cigarettes you're drinking, the drugs you're smoking, the pornography you're watching? Is that not a crutch? What about working 24 hours a day? You're always at work. Isn't that a crutch? Isn't football that's taking all your money and all your time, travelling all around the country, home and away? Isn't that your crutch? What is your crutch, sir? My crutch actually is making me better. Yours is making you worse. Yours is taking all your money. Mine is I'm giving my money. Mine's an investment. Yours is a drain. So yes, yes, you are right, sir. My faith is my crutch. Sir, what is yours? Is yours going to take you to the grave and beyond? Or is it just going to finish at the grave and have a good wake, a good drink up, a good booze up and then go home? 
What is your crutch? And is your crutch bringing you to health or is it becoming dependent on it? Are you saying for 50 years, yes, that's been my crutch. Without it, I wouldn't be able to move, my God. Christianity is that you start up with a crutch and then you walk and don't grow weary. You run and do not faint and you rise up on wings of eagles. What's happening? Colossians 1.11 Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious power so we have all the endurance and all the patience with joy. All the endurance and all the patience with joy. Lou Fellingham, who's singing at Renewal today, sings an adaptation of that great hymn published in 1887, Leaning on the Everlasting Arms. Its last verse says this, What have I to dread? What have I to fear? Leaning on the Everlasting Arms. Why are we frightened of being a Christian? Why are we frightened of leaning on the Word of God? Why are we frightened of relying on the Holy Spirit. Why do we have to have a second opinion? Why do we always have to look back at the world? Why can't we just throw ourselves fully upon him and knowing that he cares for us? He will not let us fall. He will not let us down unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you, to present you one day healed and whole, walking, running, not going old, not going weary, not going faint. Do you need a crutch? Of course you need a crutch. How long have you had a crutch? See, I'm speaking to some people here today who are Christians and you've been a Christian 10, 15 years but you're using Jesus as a crutch every day. You get up, get out of bed. Oh my God, if it wasn't for my faith, I wouldn't go to work today. What, a, what an attitude, you poor thing. My heart aches for you. I mean it, seriously, I'm not being sarcastic. I, I, I ache for you. You have to get up after 10 years of being a Christian and going, without my faith, I don't know how i get through today. My God. Your crutch was to actually get you back into wholeness. It was so the physiotherapy department of the Christian faith could turn around and say, well, thank you, Mrs. James. You can hand your crutches back now. We'll give them to somebody who needs them. You're okay now. You can walk perfectly. You're not even limping. Do you know one of my closest friends, he, he was a singer for Bob Goldoff for 25 years. He's with the Order of St. Leonard. He had a vicious stroke two years ago. Should have killed him. When I went to see him in hospital, he was dragging his leg and his arm, couldn't speak. Even now he can't sing again, but he's back into ministry. But when I saw him, he was like this. And he said, uh, I, I, I don't want a crutch. He said, you're going to have one because your legs, your muscles have gone. You've got to exercise and do your physio, but until then they are not capable of supporting you unto him who is able to keep you from falling. And so he started with that. Now, bless him, he still walks with a limp. It's a miracle. They said to him last week, you should be dead. All your muscle wasted means you should have no strength at all. Now he walks like this. He uses his hand to write. He can speak because there's a progress. Yeah. They said to him, they said, you are a walking... You're a what? Did I say walking? Or did I say Crawling. Oh yes, they said, you are a walking miracle. You should not have the strength in your legs to walk. But you see, his faith, as same as a crutch, has taken him from somewhere to somewhere 
so that he will be better than when he started. Now, if our faith is just keeping us going, my God, where's the progress? Today, I'm believing there could be a progress for you. So those who are on a Zimmer will go on to a one walking stick arm support, one walking stick arm support into a stick, from a stick to walking. You shall walk and not grow weary. You, you won't faint. You'll rise, as it were. Now, isn't it interesting? Eagles, and I'm sure you know this already because you're intelligent in Dunstable. You've got many eagles in Dunstable. Came down the motorway. I thought, where are those eagles over Dunstable? No, I didn't. No. They're over Milton Keynes. And, um, you know, the Bible says that we renewed like the eagle. Every eagle gets to a stage where it realizes that its feathers are too old. So what the eagle does, it sits on the ledge of a big cliff and it pulls its flight feathers out, which immobilizes it and means now it can't go anywhere. It's called vulnerability. But he knows unless he takes them out, the new ones can't grow. And even though he's old, his age is not renewed. I'm 74, I'm no daft, I'm not being renewed. But I mean, look, I'm decaying. 74, shake my hand too much and you'll believe holding it in your hand. I mean, get a life. Just like the advert for spearmint, my arm will drop off. So don't kiss me. You've seen the advert, I can see that then. He pulls his feathers out and he waits there. And he waits there. And the new feathers grow, which means now he puts his wings out and when he jumps off the cliff, he goes to heights he used to go to, which he can't go to now. He's not renewed. His strength is. And folks, if you're 74, you're not going to be 54. By God's grace, you'll be 75. But you'll run through a troop and leap over a wall and you'll have a spiritual energy and a strength which is beyond that which you could do before. I was in Bulgaria preaching last week and the guy got up afterwards, he said, you know, every time he comes here, he works so hard that sometimes he feels ill before he preaches. And we always know when he feels ill because he goes very quiet and withdrawn and he just sits through the service and doesn't do anything. So we start praying for him because we know what's going to happen. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon him. And then when he gets up, things start to crack all over the place because God has renewed his strength. I'm going to go through those generations again. I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to challenge you today to see if you're going to allow your generation to curse you or are you going to allow God to bless you? Are you going to break what the psychologists say about you? Are you going to let God create a generation in you? 11-year-old generation changed her. She didn't allow any label to be fitter anymore. And I don't see why, without being rude, psychology should tell you what a failure you are. That's right. Exactly. I want you to hear what a success you're going to be in Christ. Because we belong to a new generation. We are a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. We're made up of different people, different colours, different cultures. We are one family. We are, and, and is Christianity a crutch? You better believe it is. Are we going to lean on it all through our life? You better believe we're not. Because it's a crutch unto healing. It's a faith unto wholeness. Is there anybody here who's just on the verge of being happy? <laughs> I'm looking at some of you and I think, my God, my God, why have you forsaken them? <laughs> Aren't I naughty? I found that as well. When you get old, you can be naughty. 
They put you down to age. <laughs> but you see, it's reaching people where they are. A couple of years ago, somebody at a unit said to me, could I take a Christmas service for Alzheimer's because nobody will do it, which was very sad. And I went there, and a lot of the people there were in their 80s and 90s, and I thought, how am I going to preach to these people? Because they were all sitting there, and I'm not wishing to be rude now. They were dribbling and everything else. And I thought, these were all active in the 1940s. So I stood up and I went, good morning, everybody. Congratulations, the war's over. And they sat up. I said, it's going to be a good Christmas this year. Now the war's over, but there's not much money for food, is there? We're not going to have much to eat. No, they said. And it's great to have our sons and husbands back home again, isn't it? Nice to have dad back from the war, isn't it? Yeah. Taking a bit of time for him to settle back home, isn't it? Yeah. And the old men were there, and I said, you know, well, not easy coming back to work after the war, is it? He said, no. So the staff looked, and they all sat up. I said, come on, let's sing some good old carols. They sang the whole lot. And I said, um, you're looking very nice considering you, you had to go with your coupons to get some clothes for Christmas. And they all started laughing. And we got all the way through the service and some of the staff got emotional and they said, they came alive. I said, yes, because I knew their generation. And I entered into their generation. Now, the miracle was that was Christmas. So I went back to the unit at Easter and two patients said, you were here at Christmas. Wow. See, it's understanding where the world has labeled you and letting God come into it. <laughs> I had another old guy, got out of bed and got a knife to the throat of a patient. And all the patients shouted, stop him. And the nurse looked bewildered. And so I looked at his age and I went, off. He went, so and so off. I said, don't you speak to an officer like that. Come to attention when you're speaking to me. And in his pyjamas, comes to attention. So I guess he'd been in the army. I said, rank, serial number. Probably so and so, sir. Five M's, he said, sir. Sorry, sir, didn't know you were an officer. I said, so what are you doing, Alf? He said, this man's trying to kill me. I said, no, he's in your billet, in your unit. Now back into bed, up two, three, four, up two, three, four. He ran on the march. <laughs> Sat to attention in bed. I want to go home, sir. Yes, I said, and you know very well that you can't go home until the captain signs your weekend pass. Who are you, sir? I said, I'm the padre. Oh, I'm sorry I used bad language, sir. I said, I want you to be quiet. And I'll have a chat with the captain and see what we can do. I said, then don't you normally salute an officer? And he went, I'm sorry, sir. So I saluted him back. I said, stand easy, Alf. Okay, sir. I said, now lie back and have a rest. And the whole ward applauded. And I said to the nurse, unless you know where he comes from, you can't enter into his issue. And I've got news for you today. God knows exactly where you come from. Now, if there's only me in the first generation, there might be some others who are 74 or older. The silent generation. It's about time God gave you something to say.
I want us to close our eyes, can we? If you're here this morning, I don't care if you're a leader, I don't care if you're a visitor. And you were born between 1925 and 1945. And you're part of that silent generation. And you say, I want God to give me something worth saying for the rest of my life. Don't be embarrassed. Everybody's got their head bowed. Just stand where you are now because I'm going to pray with you. That's what I'm going to be doing this morning. You were born between 1946 and 1964. The baby boomers. You were born just after the war and you were born in difficult times and you've seen things change tremendously. But you want to be a spiritual boomer, not a baby boomer. Stand to your feet. Thank you. Young people born between 65 and 79, you're Generation X. You're described as disaffected by a lot of life, not a lot of direction, and you may be standing not just for you, but for your friends. And it seems as if they've never been consistent in their life. You're the middle child generation. They felt neglected and ignored. That could be you, or it could be the generation you, you stand for. Stand to your feet. Young people born between 75 and 85, exennials. You're the micro generation, described as having an analog childhood, a digital adulthood. Do you know they asked two 16-year-old boys to make a phone call on, on YouTube the other week on an old-fashioned dial phone, they couldn't do it. It describes the blending of Generation X and Millennials. You've been described as people who don't feel they belong of any generation. You're remembering a time before digital age, but barely, that's you, stand. 1980 to 1994, your generation Y. You're increasingly familiar with digital and electronic te technology. You're part of the eco-boomers. You're an internet generation feeling a dissatisfaction with what's going on in the world, with the social climate and the issues there. Stand to your feet. God's going to give you some purpose that you've never had before today. Born between 1995 and 2012. Maybe you're standing for your grandchildren and your children. Generation X. Still young. Don't fully know what they will look like. They're perceived to be excellent multitaskers. But they're referred to as millennials on steroids. They are just high-powered erratic. Showing progressive beliefs. They're very progressive now with globalisation, inclusion, technology, religion, sexuality. They're liberal in their spectrum. If that's not you, but it's your children, you can spot it in them. Stand there. And this one may be for your babies or for your children or for your grandchildren. 2010 to 2025, they're the first generation entirely born within the 21st century. They've never known anything except this digital age and they'll depend on robots to tell them of their illnesses. I'm asking you to stand there for your children and grandchildren to come. Because if God doesn't break in, that generation's going to be so weird, it's unbelievable. They're going to accept everything that is antichrist. They're being taught things which are totally contrary to the Bible. So many of you standing. This might not be your custom, but please put your hands in the air. Do you know I'm asking you to do that? It's a universal language. If you're a winner, you put your hands in the air. That means I've won. You're a cricketer, you've taken a wicket, you scored a goal, you've done a touchdown, you've, you've knocked somebody out, you put your hands up and say, I'm a winner. 
Say with me, I'm a winner in Christ. You put your hands up in any language if you're giving up and you're surrendering. And I want you to say, I surrender to the purpose of Christ. And in any language, you put your hands up when you say, Daddy, pick me up. I want you to say, Daddy, pick me up. So you're a winner in Christ, you're surrendering to the purpose of God and you're saying, Father, pick me up and love me just like a father loves his children. Amen. Do I hear an amen in this place? Amen. Do I hear a louder amen? Amen. Do you believe God's going to do something for you today? Yes. I believe God's going to do something for you today. If he, if he did it for an 11-year-old girl in Nantwich, what can he do in Dunstable to you of every age? We've got seven generations here today making up one church. And every one of you have carried a tag from psychologists which have said the world can't save you, help you, change you. It can only give you a perspective of problems. But unto Him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you, not guiltless, but faultless. My God, you're going to walk and not grow weary. You're going to run and not faint. You're not going to sink in this world. You're not going to go out of this world gasping for breath. You're going to go out of this world with a smile on your face. I'm going to pray for you, then I want you to pray with me before I hand back. Father God, I pray for these people now by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're a part of a new generation. We're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. We're made up of all these seven generations. However, we are born of the Spirit. We are a new people. We no longer depend upon the crutches of this world, of circumstance and of, and, and of addictive things. We no longer look at things that, we, that the world hold as their supportive, but unto Him who is able to keep us from falling and to present us before the Father. Even the, even the world is beginning to get tired. It's needing support and it's crying out, children of God, get yourselves right so that we can become right. When we have been redeemed, they will be redeemed. And when He comes, there will be a new heaven and a new earth and the old things will have passed away. But behold, but behold, I make all things new. Today is going to renew your generational stance. You're no longer going to be under a curse, but under a blessing. You're no longer part of failure, but of success. You're no longer part of the past, but of the future. This is a new day, a new dawning. And this church is going to get stronger because the generations are going to understand each other and support each other and not tut-tut and not think that we're inadequate or inappropriate. We will be coming together for the purposes of God. Now pray with me, Father God. We stand here today representing seven generations and we may have been labelled failures. We may have been labelled confused. We may have been labelled slackers. We may be on steroids, but this we know. In Christ, we can do all things. Anything you call us to do, we can do. And you've called us to be holy as you are holy, to walk in the paths of righteousness. I surrender my future to you. I surrender my past to you. And now my present will be securing you in the name of the Father, of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I pray for the Alpha generation, for those little babies now, for the babies in the mother's womb, for those who yet not, are not yet pregnant. I pray safety over them. I pray over the unborn baby. 
I pray that the world will not pollute them, but you will keep them. Come unto me, all you that are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. May we have revival amongst our children in the name of Jesus. Now give him a clap offering. Thanks for listening to Com Church Talks. We'd love to hear from you, and you're welcome to any of our Sunday services or midweek comms. For more information or to contact us, please visit www.comchurch.org.uk or find us on Facebook. God bless you.